the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, we've been on a year-plus journey in this revived series. Oh, that verse means that. Introduced in 2022, airing from January through September, 31 programs that we're now adding to since May of this year, 2023. By popular demand, we're going full steam. We're now up to part 53. The original 31 archived programs, together with this year's sessions, may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Friends, we've been scrutinizing scriptures for some time now, and I sure hope you're seeing the benefit of becoming a detective of the divine. Our detective's cap, our spiritual magnifying glass, and our biblical sandals are now standard operating procedure, aren't they? We want to stay spiritually equipped, don't we, to conduct our ongoing investigation into scripture. You see, this detective's gear of ours should now be safeguarding us from cavalierly and authoritatively venting what we think a verse or portion of scripture means. Friends, it saddens me that way too often we don't realize we're imposing personal or modern frames of reference, even oddball theories, on the verses or portions we're reading. I often wonder why it's so easy to misuse scripture. Bible scholars were actually asked the same question. They answered, declining biblical literacy. Oh my, questionable Bible translations and preachers who don't do their homework. So yes, shame on us. Now, I'm positive sincere Christians want to know what Bible verses mean, but often sidestep their true meanings because they're focused on what they expect or want to find in these verses they read. But I gotta say, friends, we sure crave our spiritual quick fix, you know, being satisfied to squeeze in that biblical morsel of bread for our day so we don't have to sacrifice too much of our own time. But friends, isn't God's word worth an investment of our time? Is a morsel of bread really nurturing us? 
What happened to being sure we treat Scripture justly? What's become of our respect for the Holy Spirit? After all, isn't he the author and inspirer of our Bibles? Have our personal wants pushed out the time we could spend investing in the context or background of the Bible portions we read? That time we invest could certainly protect us from so easily and quickly misusing Scripture, and we'd reap some rewards as well. Honestly, friends, it mystifies me that it doesn't appear to bother us that so far we've identified some 52 Bible verses that we've either trivialized or misread, misjudged, misconstrued, then mistaught and therefore misapplied. So please listen to my appeal again. How about we rededicate ourselves to more faithfully and more carefully investigating Bible verses we've taken for granted mean one thing, since we're discovering over and over that these verses mean something different. And friends, let me reiterate that I take no pleasure in targeting a spiritual floodlight at or get any glee from seriously reanalyzing Bible verses that are grievously misinterpreted by some of us pastors, teachers, and preachers. And you know why, don't you? Because the Bible has its own story to tell us, doesn't it? It's crying out to tell us it's story. But what do we pastors, teachers, and preachers, and even average Christians do? We force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And I say, shame on us. Well, today our scripture under scrutiny will be a very well-known Bible passage. I'll even bet you've shared it with others on occasion. Our passage is tucked in between John chapter 3 verses 1 and 10. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. By the way, this would be the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, or born from above, suggesting heaven. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Today's session 53 is called Nick at Night. And friends, if you or your kids ever watched Nickelodeon, you'll get the pun. And verse 5, our specific verse under scrutiny, is a perfect example of a text where we can easily make assumptions. And why I say investing a little extra time yields great rewards. And why our detective's gear safeguards us from cavalierly and authoritatively babbling on with what we suspect of 
verse or section of scripture means. And due to the fact that in John 3, 5, we're prone to making assumptions on its meaning, we owe it to ourselves and to the word of God to make the best effort and investigate just where the weight of biblical evidence falls. Personally, friends, I believe this honors and respects the Holy Spirit, the author of our scriptures, according to 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. This proneness on our part to make assumptions has actually birthed four views in the Christian church. Let's pull out our spiritual magnifying glass and educate ourselves about these views. We'll even see a theological bias here in addition to the proneness to make assumptions. So in this instance with John 3, 5, we need to be especially careful and especially objective as oftentimes theological biases are denominationally rooted. Well, friends, I've got my detective's cap on and I'm holding my spiritual magnifying glass and I've just strapped on my biblical sandals. So are we ready? Okay, then. View number one is probably the first and most guessed option, being born of water, meaning water baptism. And view number one can have an A and a B to it. A meaning water baptism in general, and B meaning the baptism of repentance of John the Baptist. Water baptism in general seems to be characteristic of both the Roman Catholic Church and the majority interpretation within many mainline Protestant denominations. In some cases, as with International Church of Christ and some other denominations, water baptism is required for salvation. Water referring to the baptism of repentance of John the Baptist is suggested by some due to the Apostle John introducing him in the first chapter of his gospel. In John 1, 6 through 8, he's introduced, and in verses 19 through 28, his baptismal ministry on the other side of the Jordan River is described in detail. Now, friends, we'll evaluate each view first, and then we'll weigh them in light of the context of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. So, view number two proposes that born of water is a figure of speech for the Holy Spirit. Proponents of this view contend that Jesus is essentially saying in the text of John 3, 5, born of water, even the Spirit. It is proposed that Nicodemus probably had his memory jogged and recalled Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, where God says in part, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Supporters of this view also refer to John seven thirty seven through 39 where Jesus' teaching includes, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. In other words, being born of water becomes a synonym for and clarification of and the Spirit in John 3, 5. This view is also called the spiritual cleansing view or the purification view. View number three, held by a minority of Protestants, maintains that born of water is figuratively interpreted as a reference to the Word of God. As such, the Word of God has a cleansing effect, just as Paul states in Ephesians 5.26, 
Christ cleansing her, the church, by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In addition, in 1 Peter 1.23, Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And James adds, God the Father chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all his created. Finally, view four, a prominent view among evangelicals, understands being born of water to refer to natural human birth. This is contrasted with the supernatural spiritual birth represented by Jesus' follow-up phrase, and the Spirit. This contrast is supported by several points made not only in the Gospel of John itself, but in the immediate context of Jesus' and Nicodemus' conversation in the text under scrutiny. First, in John chapter 1, 10 through 13, we read, He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. This first own is neuter, meaning creation, historical land Israel, and his own home. And his own, this second own, is masculine, meaning people, family, the Jews specifically, did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And here's the kicker, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. In essence, these verses hint at how John's gospel is going to be laid out, and why it differs so much from the other three gospels. The author John also shapes his gospel narrative around three responses of people, per his conclusion in chapter 20, 30, and 31, that people believe or don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, people believe or don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, and people who believe or don't believe will have or not have eternal life. So the Gospel of John, from a literary standpoint, unfolds as a series of encounters and interviews with either individuals or small groups of people, or significant events that reveal people's responses to Jesus' declarations about himself. For example, chapter 1 includes John the Baptist's interview with the Jewish religious leaders and Pharisees. During his testimony for Jesus, he says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one who comes after me. My take here, friends, is that John the Baptist is hinting at something greater than the water he's baptizing in. This becomes more evident in verses 32 through 34, when John saw the Spirit descend on Jesus, and there declared, The one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. What emerges in the Gospel of John is a series of contrasts, natural water versus spiritual water, which continues in chapter 2 where Jesus turns water into wine, old covenant water versus new covenant water, which continues again in chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well, natural water versus spiritual water. This concept of water functions like bookends around chapter 3, Jesus' interview with Nicodemus, which which centers around natural things versus spiritual things.
Well, let's pause here, friends. If you just tuned in, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners as A Word from the Word is listener-funded. Your financial partnership is vital to keep this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home and those of you who may have been hurt by the institutional church. Please join forces with me in A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com. We're in challenging financial times and ministries are not immune. A word from the word is still seeking to become fully funded and monthly supporters are needed. We'll repeat this info at the end of the program. Well, friends, John's contrasts are not limited to water. There's light versus darkness, belief or faith versus unbelief, truth versus lies, kingdom of the earth versus kingdom of heaven, Satan's realm versus Jesus's realm. And so in John 3, it's no coincidence that Jesus presents a contrast to Nicodemus, natural birth versus spiritual birth, religion versus a relationship with the one true God, head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Friends, let's review that small chunk from John 3, 3 through 8, and note the particular contrast Jesus makes to Nicodemus. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, or from above. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you. And here Jesus uses the plural, in other words, to say, You, Nicodemus, and all your religious leaders, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You, Nicodemus, should not be surprised at my saying, You, plural, must be born again. And the plural here may mean the Jewish leaders in particular, or the Jewish people in general. The wind blows where it pleases. You heard its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, second, notice that Nicodemus, though an elder in the community, a member of the religious leadership, and known as Israel's teacher, is still spiritually dull. Jesus says this in verses 10 through 13. In verse 12, Jesus maintains the spiritual contrast with, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe? How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Also notice, friends, the words that act like bookends around Jesus' statement about being born of water and the Spirit. First, verse 4, Nicodemus saying, Surely a person cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. This answers the idea of being born again, Jesus' words in verse 3. Evidently, Nicodemus understood the again notion, as he himself says, a second time. Then there's Jesus' own follow-up words in verse 6. Immediately after he says, born of water and the Spirit, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Friends, let's recap chapter 1 that I shared earlier, verses 11 through 13, where in verse 13, John the author talks about how children of God are born, children born not of natural descent, 
flesh gives birth to flesh, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, spirit gives birth to spirit. Friends, I submit that being born again in John 3 is equal to being born of God in John 1. My take on all this is that the first birth is a natural birth, or as the author John states in one thirteen, natural descent, and the second birth is the spiritual birth, or as John states in one thirteen, born of God. Now, some would argue that water was not used metaphorically to describe either conception, embryonic development, or birth for centuries in Middle Eastern culture up to the time of Jesus. Yet there are precise examples of this in the Dead Sea Scrolls and in the apocryphal book of Four Esdras, contained in the Septuagint. Old Testament examples are in Job 38 and Song of Solomon 4. Some Bible students would argue that born of water, even the spirit, is a viable translation, defending the idea that water and spirit are interchangeable and therefore may be equated. Yet this argument doesn't stand, as numerous other verses use and in the same way and are translated and. So it's not an open and shut case. Others even seek to pass over the immediate context of John 3, 3 through 7 for the express purpose of searching out an Old Testament or extra-biblical alternative meaning for water in verse 5, one that denies physical birth referring to womb birth. But as I said earlier, Jesus himself and even Nicodemus provide the proper and contextual meaning in verses 3 through 7. Additionally, with the exception of John's baptism and Jesus walking on water, the Apostle John's use of water is uniquely his, and so many of his references don't appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as parallel texts. A number of John's scenes play a crucial role in revealing the water's intended meaning. This is seen early in his gospel, where he contrasts water reserved for rituals or traditions with that higher or heavenly water offered through Jesus. Friends, we could even say that via metaphors and symbols, John erects a ladder for us so we can see and understand the contrast from the lower physical realm to the higher realm of the Holy Spirit. John's symbols point beyond themselves, yet embody the very things they represent. Therefore, John takes tangible and familiar images and infuses them with secondary meanings to help us latch onto and define the often unfathomable world of God. Jesus was prepping Nicodemus to grasp that the new birth is not one of flesh, but one of the spirit, not one obtained by natural means or resources, but one obtained by distinctively spiritual resources. We human beings are already born of water in the natural birth, and why Jesus adds the condition unless in John 3, 3, which also strengthens the idea that he's not talking about the traditional Jewish purification rituals, which were also referred to as baptisms. Well, friends, the evidence I've shared with you today is that born of water and the Spirit points us to two different kinds of birth, 
physical and spiritual, rather than two means of the second birth, and that John 3, 5 demonstrates that the new second spiritual birth from above is an absolute necessity for every sinful human to enter the kingdom of God, and that being birthed anew by the Holy Spirit is not conditioned on water baptism, as many think, and even as many insist, taking into consideration the whole counsel of God, there's a bevy of scripture texts that make it clear our salvation is conditioned on faith, belief, or calling upon the Lord to save us, preceded by repentance. Just check out Romans 3, 22, 26, and 28 for starters, then Romans 4, 5, and 5, 1. And how about the peace de resistance, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Salvation is a free gift received by faith, predicated on repentance. The scriptures properly interpreted cannot be manipulated to teach that water baptism is essential or necessary for salvation. So the Apostle John's gospel narrative draws contrasts between two kinds of water, lower and higher. This dualism is an intentional device where John employs his imagery. Imagery that includes light and darkness, life and death, above and below, true and false. Each of these images separates the tangible world that we live in from the intangible world of the Spirit. Note that in John 3.12, Jesus distinguishes between earthly things and heavenly things. In John 8.23, Jesus even distinguishes himself from his opponents, saying, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. One final world, friends. There's an old saying from the Jesus movement days, Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Or maybe not at all. A person born once has physical life. A person born twice, in other words, a person born again, has eternal life. Just as a baby contributes no effort to the birth process, the work is done by the mother, so it is with spiritual birth. We are merely the recipients of God's grace or favor as he gives us new birth through the Holy Spirit, a new birth that occurs within our hearts. Friends, if you're listening today and are not sure if you have this new life, this second and spiritual birth, now's the time to call upon the Lord and ask for forgiveness of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart and also into your life to mold and shape you into Christ-likeness so you can now walk in his steps and not just your own. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program, and as promised, we'll close our program with an email address where you may write and inquire about helping fund a word from the word, which is listener-funded. I love coming alongside you without a church home or you who've been hurt by the institutional church. Podcasts are at faithtalk1360.com, also at Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and thanks to my friends and partners at christianbody.net, a word from the word is broadcast in over seven countries. If these teachings are inspiring you to grow and study God's Word more, please invest in our mission. During these economic and financially challenging times, ministries are not immune. So please consider joining our support team. A Word from the Word is still seeking to become fully funded. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. 
That's a word from the word at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.